welcome to Outside is Overrated. Thank you so much for joining us. This is episode 18, the 2019 Holiday Buying Guide. Ching, 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 ching. I'm your host, Tom Awesome. I will be singing Christmas carols intermittently throughout the show, along with my co-host to be named later. Now, the holidays are right around the corner. If you're listening to OIO, chances are you have a nerd in your life, or you are one yourself. We are going to get you ready and set for the holidays this year. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Please check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. Joining me on this magical holiday journey today is our lovable co-host, Hobbybox Burns. Welcome back, Joey. And what have you been up to since last time? Hello, hello. Yeah, I've been up to all sorts of things. It's been, what, two months? A little over two months since we recorded. And um, we are recording on November 12th in beautiful Roseville, Minnesota. Yep. God only knows when I'll actually post this episode. And, and, and just to prove that, sort of like they do in hostage videos, I'm holding up today's newspaper. He's not actually holding up anything. He is making an arm motion like he's holding it up, which is an impressive amount of effort. I mean, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, you know? True that, um, playa. Yeah, playa. Hey, hate the playa. Don't hate the game. Stay or, or black, is, brother. Or, or is it the other way? The word is bone? Oh, kill whitey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I've done lots of gaming in the last couple months. Um, as far as video games are concerned, so I've played... A few games that we're going to probably touch base on as we move along with this podcast. Oh, well, not probably. We are because it's in the notes. It sure is. It's nice th- job on the notes this episode. Like usually I do the lion's share, but this time I just mailed it in. I'm like, yeah, you know, there's a date <laughs> on it. Could you do some stuff? I just had lots of things in my head that I needed to just sort of onto the page. Oh, you, know? you have lots of things inside you, Joey. Oh, yes, I do. I'm just full of all sorts of, uh, what is it, like... 13 logs well yeah i mean i drop those off occasionally um but it's like 13 herbs and spices is what uh is what like the the kfc kfc yeah Yeah. the secret ingredients so my secret i'm filled with 13 fluids and juices I'm having a hard time processing that. <laughs> so what have you been playing, Joey? So I've been playing video games and board games. But so the video games I've been playing, we're going to talk about later, The Outer Worlds and Death Stranding. I can't wait to get into these. One of the games that you're mentioning here is one of my most anticipated games of the year. And the other is The Outer Worlds? <laughs> Not so much. Hey, Kojima gonna Kojima, you know? I also played some Moonlighter. And now this is a game that actually came out almost two years ago now, probably. Uh, and the whole premise, the premise is really interesting, and the gameplay is fun, too. So the whole premise is that you inherited a shot from your grandpa in a town. This sounds exactly like that PC building sim you talked about last time. <laughs> that was your uncle who just needed to go on vacation, and then you just run the thing forever for him. Um, so you, so you're, you're in this adventuring town that a bunch of adventurers go to to be able to go into these dungeons that appear outside of the town randomly. And but the whole I played this too. It's called Dungeon Village on my phone. No, it's a little bit different than that though cuz you run a shop. And so the whole premise is you set the prices and you try to determine what is going to be what what's going to be in demand or not in demand and how much you think you can get for a given item and you'll see sort of the reactions as the as the adventurers look at your things and if it's too expensive they have a big sad face. Um, if it's like really expensive, they have like an angry face sort of pop up above their head. Um, but if it's like 
too low of a price, then their like eyes turn into gold coins and they're like, I can't believe I'm getting this much of a steal. And so you have to kind of figure out how that works. But then how you replenish your stock is at night when all the adventurers are sleeping, you go into the dungeon to then go through it to get materials to sell in the shop. Uh, and it's a really interesting game. So far, there's like little tidbits of story here and there. I've only I've run into the boss of the first dungeon like three times. And usually you have a you have a button that allows you to use this pendant that you have to go back to town uh, after trying to attack it the first time and getting destroyed. And if you die, you lose all your stuff, uh, except for like things that you have in like five slots in your inventory. And that's it. So every other time I ran into him because it's random dungeons each time you don't know where they're going to be. I just jump back to town because it's like, I want to lose all this crap that I have because I need to make money, you know. So, uh, but it's a really fun game, uh, lighthearted, interesting. It's one of those that I think as I play some of these meteor games, I'm going to jump back into as time goes on. So Moonlighter, I, I, it's like 15 bucks, 20 bucks on, on PSN and Xbox Live. So yeah, I would highly recommend it. Uh, other than that, been playing Final Fantasy X, or was playing Final Fantasy X for our Final Fantasy stuff. I did play the tutorial of Final Fantasy XII, but November's been a bit busy with me being out of town and then playing all these other games that have come out. Uh, and then the other game that I played is a game called Erica. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. WTF is Erica. So Erica is, uh, it was about two years ago, Sony came up with this initiative where they it was called Playlink, where you use your phone as a controller to do different things. And yeah, wasn't so, there supposed to be a follow-up to that with uh, or some that initiative was supposed to be used in a follow-up game to Until Dawn, is that right? Yes, and they did do that called Hidden Agenda. Yeah, and it like bombed. Didn't yeah, it? it flopped. I know um, there was a Planet of the Apes game that Game Informer played and just panned. Yeah, so this is kind of. It seems like this is the last game that used it, and probably will be the last game that used it because it, it failed. But Erica, it's a full motion video game. So we've talked about that before on here, and how much I kind of enjoy those games. And so you're yeah, playing. Yeah, you love that one game. Yeah. Oh God! Why can't I remember what it's called? It's like the mystery. I don't quiet, even remember it. The Quiet Man. Oh no, no, the <laughs> Quiet Man. The yeah. Quiet Man is hot garbage. Yeah, I'm gonna give you the Quiet Man for Christmas, Joey. I, you, yeah. I already have it. If yeah, you want to waste more money, again. yes. <laughs> and then we'll play through it and watch the second version so that it makes sense. Well, hey, it would be good. I still haven't gotten up the chutzpah to go back and play it again to actually understand what the hell was going on. Out of this entire list of games, what on earth would you put aside to play The Quiet Man? I mean, nothing. Nothing. Not not a single thing. Good point. Then back to Erica. What is <laughs> Erica with the Shared Play Initiative? Yeah, so, so with PlayLink, you use your phone to do different gestures. So like one of the first things you do is she pulls out this lighter that she got from her father and then you flick it in order to light it, you know, turn it on. And then you, you light this lamp and then you, you twist the, you swipe on the phone to twist the knob. Let's pause right here for a minute. Let's pretend that we're Sony executives here. (laughs) I will be the Sony executive who knows that everyone has a phone and Mm -hmm. that this could be insanely profitable. You can be the game designer that knows that flicking a lighter on a phone is no fun. Go. So uh, everyone has a phone, so you're going to do this. You know, I just don't know if it's really worth the effort when you can just hit X on the... Oh, no, sorry. Like, literally. You can hit cross 
on the controller to do this? A, you're fired. B, literally everyone has a cellular telephone. So, uh, you know, we're going to do this. And this is going to be super duper successful. But people don't want to download your app. That, that's him getting dragged out of the building. And scene. <laughs> But it's a lot of fun. I, uh, the phone wasn't... You can play it with your controller too, but I figured since they partially designed it to play with the phone, I figured I'd give it a go. It didn't get super obtrusive. It was interesting, some of the things they did with it. Uh, sometimes it didn't quite work um, as, as much as they said, but the story was really interesting. It's kind of a mystery. You're trying to figure out... You have amnesia. You're trying to figure out all this stuff about these about what happened to you, and uh, it, it it's... A lot like a lot of what full motion video games do now is there's branching endings. So lots of different things could kind of happen depending upon what you do and what you decide. And you know, it's interesting. I'm, at some point, I'll go back through and try to get a different ending and see what that changes to the game. So I would recommend it. It was like 10 bucks, uh, 15 bucks. So the game itself was interesting, but playing in the phone like that just didn't did not sound appealing to me at all. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad, but it didn't really add anything to the experience. So then at that point, why don't you just use a controller like everybody else does, you know? So that was all the video games I've played for the most part. I mean, there might have been random things here and there. I did play Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm about halfway through the bridge content from the first expansion to the second expansion. Uh, and for context, the third expansion is what came out this year. So I'm slowly working my way through that. Uh, what What tends to happen is I will jump into the game and grind a bunch of random crap for maybe, you know, two weeks. And then I'll jump onto other things for a while. And then, you know, two months later, I'll jump back for a couple more weeks and sort of go through the motions of things. Um, I would so love to get into Final Fantasy fourteen, and especially as we get later in the Final Fantasy Challenge, and I'm playing twelve now and just mm-hmm. loving it. But then I think about the time that you have for gaming, and that you've gotten <laughs> through the pace content, one expansion, and you're still plugging away at it. It's like I would never even scratch the surface of what this game had to offer. Yeah, it'd take a while to get through it. Uh, it, it is like a lot of MMOs. It's one of those games that you can kind of just jump in and do some of the stuff while you have like a movie on. You know, something that you wouldn't want to put... Not for me, really. Like, when I when I have my gaming time, like, I want to be focused right. entirely on the game. But it would be interesting. I, I always wondered, because kind of like when we were talking about group games in the last episode that I was on, it, it's one of those things I would wonder what it would be like to play that game with other people, like, in a party and you're leveling together. Uh, it would be interesting to see if, if that added anything to the game or really didn't matter, because I've really been playing it as a solo game that I randomly play with strangers at times. So Does that go well for you, playing with strangers? It's not too bad. It, I am notoriously abrasive with strangers. <laughs> well, it's so there's no voice chat. Unless you can, using the controller, type really quickly into the chat box, uh, you really can't do a whole lot of being abrasive. Can you filter people out for doing dumb stuff? Um, like thinking back to my wow days like I would either play as a major or a healer and like mana management was a major part of that game and like I'm trying to recharge my mana and someone runs up and pulls the next set of mobs and like we all get wiped because of one idiot right I'm pretty sure you could block players so then maybe you wouldn't find them in the duty finder and <laughs> duty <laughs> I, I don't I have never really seen anything that blatant sometimes there's there are idiots that try to tank and pull aggro on way too many dudes because that's the difficult thing is you get further into the content of the raid dungeons and stuff and and, and duties. Yeah, uh, duty. 
it's one of those things where as you get further on, there's so many different things you have to do with some of the bosses. It, it, it does get difficult without having a really efficient way to communicate in the game to, unless you just look up, okay, on this boss, you need to do these things. When this happens, go to this spot. When this happens, go to this spot. Cause there's some of them where it's like, you have to take damage on certain attacks. Otherwise their other attacks later are more powerful. And there's not a lot in the game that's telling you that. Hmm. So you kind of just have to intuit that based upon what other people have gone through. Um, which I know like if you're playing the content as it coming out, it makes it more interesting probably to figure that out and determine how we're going to attack this and approach this. But when you're just trying to get through this dungeon to get to the next piece of content, sometimes that maybe gets a little bit more difficult. And you don't, you also, you don't want to be the guy in the group that doesn't know what you're doing and then I'm doing the wrong thing. And then have someone yell at you or just say, Hey, no, you know, attack this thing instead. Mm -hmm. And I just play the DPS classes because I don't feel like I'm comp competent enough yet to be a healer or a tank. So you don't feel like you're competent enough yet. You showed me your like hour count. You played like 24 days of this GD game. It was when I sent it to you. It was 15 days, 15 hours, and 15 minutes. Oh, I see the significance now. I just glanced at the picture and said, "Oh, cool." Yeah, Joey no, loves yeah. that game. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed a lot. I hopefully at one point before the next expansion comes out, which would probably be two years, I'm hoping that I am able to get caught up completely. Let me tell you what I intuited with my duty finder this morning. Uh-huh. So it's been a rough week for sleep in the Sidlogic household. We all have colds, and like we're not getting a lot of sleep at night, so I wound up spending half the night last night sleeping in our guest bedroom to try to get some uninterrupted sleep. And so the alarm goes off, and I come upstairs, and I'm trying to make coffee, and I'm all groggy. And uh, Daisy comes out of our bedroom, and she brings a book over, and she absolutely insists that I read it to her, which is super-duper sweet. It's mm -hmm. a beautiful way to start the morning. So I sit down, cross-legged on the floor. I'm in my boxers, uh, just wearing boxers, nothing else. Coffee is, like, in the filter on the counter, not even in the pot yet. And I read the story for Daisy, and then she has me start reading it again. And then I notice that her pants are all wet, and it is seeping onto my leg. <laughs> we, uh, we don't have many blowouts at this stage of life right now, but <laughs> This was like full fledged, oh. full alarm, <laughs> shooting out the sides, and like you know, it's just going onto my legs. It's like, oh, well, this is parenthood. Let's uh, let's go deal with this. <laughs> now that's what I call a sticky situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, what board games have you been playing? And let's keep this real tight. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, so. A few of the games that I've played recently is Tapestry, Keyforge, and Wingspan. All three of those are going to come up a little bit later in the show. Sorry to you know call my shot, I guess, uh, for later on. Oh, the babe is pointing to center field. Yes, yes. Um, I also played a game called Vindication. So basically what you are is you are cast aside from society and you're sent out to this wasteland to explore and create this civilization for the most part. And so part of the game is you go through and you place different tiles as to what these areas are. And then the whole focus is about going and collecting resources and then upgrading yourself to the point where you become vindicated and saved and you're not wretched anymore. You're vindicated. That sounds very interesting. And then it's all about earning like, I think it's, I think they call it glory in the game. It's glory or hope or something like that. So you're, you're trying to build up as much of this as possible to you know, victory typical points, board game, it. go around the board and get victory points. Um, and then you, similar to how Scythe works, where you choose how to someone triggers an ending, there'll be endings that come up, ending situations. And so if you can get 
say, five artifacts, or you can get five traits, or you can get six of these masteries uh, in, in this in, in the different skills that you gain over the game, then you trigger the ending and then there's finishes that round and goes to one more round. But people can block that. People can find ways to remove those. So it's kind of this cat and mouse game as to triggering the ending when you think you're going to win, so to speak. So it was really interesting. Played that for the first time. There's supposedly a lot of expansions that just came out recently, uh, but it's a little bit more on the spendy side as far as games go. I also played The Legend of Five Rings LCG. This is one I bought at the Fantasy Flight Games sale last year. So I figured it's getting on about a year. I haven't played it yet. So we played that last weekend. It's a lot of fun. It's really interesting. It was kind of tough after the Minnesota Penn State game to focus and think about it for a while. But once we got into... We all had raging erections. Yeah, that that game was insane. We're all rowing the boat, Burns. Yes. Row the boat, Sky Yamago Gophers. Uh, but once we got near the end of the game and it started to really click as to how it worked, we both, Josh and I, both really enjoyed it. And so looking forward, you get five of the factions in the starter deck. So looking forward to messing around with what those different factions do. And, and really, the setting is basically a different take on like old school Japan, feudal Japan for the most part. So that was a lot of fun. And then Reavers of Midgard, which I did receive from Kickstarter. I Kickstarter back that a little less than a year ago. And so the reason why I want to bring this up, I haven't played it yet, but they have had nothing but problems with their Kickstarter. So they had this whole partnership with a company called Game Trays. They make inserts for games to put all of your different tokens and everything like that in there. And they didn't notice before they went to pushing out the full production run that they weren't up to the specs that they wanted. Oh, no. And so things were pretty rough. The rubber bands they put around the trays bent them to the point where the tops don't fit really on anymore. And so they're going to be sending all of new ones out to all the backers for that. The cards didn't have the right texture on them. It seemed like from looking at the comments, 40% of people were either missing things or had damaged things to theirs, which is a pretty high percentage for Kickstarter. I know I had six dice that were integral to the game that I'd ever received. Oh, no. <laughs> um, luckily, I was able to find from Champions of Midgard dice that had the exact same odds on the sides. So I could just use that when I play it. So it was a little bit of a bummer to see a company. They didn't like send you the right dice? No, they, were no, they weren't in there. But so, you didn't like reach out to the company. And oh, say, I did. So they're so flooded with like trying to deal with this because some people are still getting their games yet, like especially in Europe. And so they're just trying to. I finally got an email. I sent that out a week and a half ago. Finally got an email response yesterday. Them saying that we're really sorry we haven't responded yet. We're swamped. We're going to get to these in the order that they came in, so please be patient. We'll be back to you. At least they communicated something. That's an important customer yeah. service. And they point. have been putting things out in the Kickstarter with updates. Um, I know a lot of people were frustrated that the cards didn't have like the tacky linen finish to them. They were just glossy uh, because they had said they were going to have the linen finish, and that was a mistake on their part, and they're not going to change that. So it'll be interesting to see... That's technically against Kickstarter's rules. What happens with that? So just thought it was interesting. Thought I'd bring that up. But that was a very unabridged version of the things that I've played. So I apologize for that. 
I admire the time that you have for gaming. My month is, the month of November is largely consumed by deer hunting for me. It's three weekends in the month of Minnesota. I got a four-point buck the first morning. Yay! Casey did not get a buck the first day, so how does that taste, Casey? Also, the same weekend, I played Casey in fantasy football. Now, this season (laughs) has been just miserable for me in fantasy football. Uh, In the league that I care the most about, I came into this week 1-8, and and I won my first game last week. So it's been been a rough road, and I believe in my team. It's not like I have a bunch of turds that I'm rolling out there. It's just been mostly bad luck. And the team that I I have with Phoenix, where we got screwed in the auction, we almost quit. We had a real strong start to the season. Now we have to win out, and one of the two teams in the front of the division has to lose out for us to make the playoffs. Yikes. Looks like we don't get the mic drop in that one. (laughs) Uh, But another cool thing we decided to do, Star Wars Episode Nine comes out on December 20th. Super duper excited. We have decided to watch every Star Wars movie leading up to it and read a handful of the books so that when we do our January show on Star Wars, we're going to have a lot to talk about. We being me and Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, not me and you. No. I didn't frame that particularly well. No, that's all right. I, I followed you. Yeah. I think the readers followed you now, too. Yeah. The, the, or listeners. Yeah, listeners. Readers. More apt. You know, well, people. You know, almost 100 people have downloaded the Spider-Man episode. That's cool. That's just downloads that WordPress track, so. Some would say that's amazing or maybe spectacular. I lean towards amazing. Uh, so are you excited for episode nine? I am. Uh, I. How big a Star Wars guy are you, Burns? I really enjoy Star Wars. I'm not to the point where I've read all the books and done all the things. I've never actually read a Star Wars book before. I've read a couple of them. Like, I read the Tales from Jabba's Palace, the Tales of the Bounty Hunters, Tales from Mos Eisley Cantina. Those were all fun. I read a couple of other random books. Uh, I tried to read The Truce at Bakura, which was... It doesn't exist anymore because they... Burned all the copies? No, they just... Now it's just the new books count. The old books don't count because Disney didn't have the license then. Um... But the Truce of Bakura sounded really interesting because it was, this picks up exactly where Return of the Jedi ended, and you get to see what happens with the, re- with the rebellion. And now the book is called Aftermath. Yeah, well, and hopefully it's a lot better because the Truce of Bakura was so boring. The first, like, the first... Was it all international or intergalactic trade politics and midichlorians? It was talking... It wasn't no midichlorians yet at that point. It was just talking about, yeah, them, like... What do we do with the rebellion now that we have to lead? And it was just boring, dull. I want to see like action and stuff. And so, yeah, that's kind of the straw that broke the camel back, camel's back on it for me. But I kind of like Star Wars. It's an, it's enjoyable. When it looks at the last couple of movies, I didn't have any problems with them. I enjoyed. I them. enjoyed them very much. Yeah. I like Daisy Ridley so much. Mm-hmm. I get that there were flaws. Like basically, bring the Death Star back again was kind of weak. <laughs> they had their flaws, but overall, I really enjoyed them. Was Star Killer base, not the Death Star? Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, that. And I don't want to <laughs> like spoil any of my thoughts in Episode One, but I hadn't seen it since the theater. And I would say once every twenty years or so is about right for the fan. <laughs> I, I recently watched that. Well, recently, within the last three years. Um, and yeah, you're about right. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're interested, you can follow Outside is Overrated on social. You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That is overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome and at HobbyBoxBurns. The last time we brought this up, I chastised you for not tweeting in about six months. Yeah. You've tweeted once since then. Yeah, that was to retweet that episode just to prove you wrong, and I haven't tweeted since then. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. He's a good follow. Yeah. Don't miss a beat. Yep. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated and on Instagram at outside underscore overrated pod. Every year, Phoenix and I host a Halloween party, and uh, it's gotten bigger and bigger each year, and it was a pretty fun time this year. Normally, I wouldn't bring it up on the show because it's not particularly relevant, but I thought your crew was awfully, awfully funny. You rolled in as uh, Pip-Boy, not Pip-Boy, Fallout Boy. (laughs) Not not Fallout Boy. Vault Um, Boy. So, yeah. Yes, Vault Boy. So, I I was basically a Vault Dweller. I could have gotten the mask and tried to be him, but yeah, I was a Vault Dweller from Fallout, the Fallout series. Um, yeah, not I, that interesting. What were your friends? They tried to piece this back together, and they did finally realize that it was all Joe's idea. So they decided to go as characters from Bob's Burgers. So if you're familiar with the show, there's Bob, who's the cook, who makes the hamburgers. Uh, my roommate Lance was Bob. His wife was Bob's wife. I, I don't remember her name. I thought she was, uh, what's her name from Scooby-Doo, Thelma? No, no, no. I mean, it kind of looks like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I thought at first. Eventually, I pieced it together. Yeah. so I've never seen Bob's Burgers, so. Yeah. yeah. And so then Joe, whose idea they found out was his, was a character named Marshmallow from Bob's Burgers. Now, I haven't seen the episode or anything like that, but apparently it's a woman, question mark, that wears a, what, what are those called? Fur coat. Well, a fur coat. But then underneath the fur coat only wears a... I think it's a thong. Is it, well, so it's I mean, a thong? It's like an over-the-shoulder thong. Yeah, so like the over-the-shoulder, basically it's just a V that goes from the crotch up over the chest and over the neck and then back down the backside. And so he was just wearing that underneath the fur coat and he had kind of a, kind of a fro wig on going and just a big white fur coat. And it a was of very friends, shocking. <laughs> a, a couple of friends from another group of my friends asked what was under the fur coat, and Joe obliged them. He opened up the coat, and uh, one of his balls was sticking up. <laughs> I kind of figured that would be the case. Yeah, so that was uh, my uh, nerd group's introduction to Joey's friend group. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, Maybe I'm going to distance myself from Joe a little bit. We'll hey, see. Joe's good people. Yeah, he is. Yeah, so he that is. was our Halloween party. Then on actual Halloween, you went something to Game Hole. And if I were to bring up Game Hole in casual conversation, people might think it was reference to like playing video games, like you're sticking the video games in your Game Hole, or a more <laughs> crass person might think it's putting them somewhere uncomfortable. Yeah. It turns out Game Hole is an event. What, like the back of a Volkswagen? Totally. <laughs> yeah, so Gamehole Con is Madison's version of Gary Con, which is the remade version of Gen Con, which moved to Indianapolis. Uh, so basically, it's a Dungeons & Dragons-focused convention in central Wisconsin's largest city, Madison. Um, it's held at the Alliant Energy Convention Center from October 31st this year through November 3rd. Now, if you're not aware of what D&D is, first, why on earth are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> uh, but it's a tabletop role-playing game. You have a character, you choose a race and a class, and as you defeat monsters and navigate dungeons, you gain loot and experience that uh, helps your character grow over time. Did I miss anything? Yeah, I mean, there, there's magic and, and swords and sorcery. Uh, dungeons and Dragons is very fantasy-based. I mean, if you want to find a tabletop RPG for basically any setting, if there's a show series that is 
anything popular, there's going to be a tabletop RPG for it. There's Doctor Who. There's Harry Dresden. I'm sure there's something in Hogwarts, at least at some point, or there will be at some point, because everybody wants to role play in all of their favorite uh, areas. Those books and movies came out like 20 years ago. If they don't exist yet, they're not coming. Oh. Anyways, what did you play at Game Hall? So, yeah. so What did you stick in your Game Hall? Yeah. <laughs> stuck a stuck a lot of... A lot, of, a lot of D10s in my game hole, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, D20s? Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know how to party. So a lot of what we did was, you know, since it was a Dungeons & Dragons-focused convention, we played Dungeons & Dragons. So fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons, if you're not familiar, and we've talked, actually, we've talked about it on the podcast before. So, But it's very newbie-friendly, and this convention is actually pretty newbie friendly as well so if you hadn't really played two of the guys that were with our group hadn't played dungeons and dragons before they'd done one of them had played some other tabletop role-playing games but never DD. and so what we did is we signed up for adventurers league uh scenarios and so what adventurers league is is wizards of the coast has created this as the way to be able to create a character so you're given certain criteria so you can't create something that's like super overpowered you can only use the player's handbook, so the main book, and then one other supplemental material to create your character from it. Then you create your character based upon the the settings that they have. And what you do is, as you, as you play that character, basically wherever they have Adventurer's League, you can use that same character with what it's developed at and then play that somewhere else and develop it. So if you got level if you got to level two in your last scenario, you have a level two character with all the loot that you earned before, and you can play in any other Adventurers League game at level two. That's cool. How do they keep you from cheating? So it used to be that they had a web portal that you would put everything onto, and then you had a an account number that they could check if they really wanted to. Uh, now it seems to be a lot more on the honor system. There are some second party developed websites that help you to track it a lot better and keep your character information on there. But really a lot of it's on the honor system. Cause I mean, if somebody creates something overpowered, a seasoned dungeon master would know that they're gaming the system to some extent. And my guess is if they were a seasoned one, they wouldn't necessarily call them out on it, but they'd make things a lot more difficult for them as they were going through it. Sure. So, yeah, so we played three different uh, games of Adventures League, one over a two-hour stint, one over a three-hour stint, and one over a four-hour stint. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, shout out to, we had James Blunt, David Lewis, Eddie Wygonik. None of them are going to be listening to this. So, but Are they famous people or were they just good DMs? No, just random DMs that we had that were really good. Um, you should shoot tweets at them telling them they get a shout out in this show. I'll have to see if I can find them. <laughs> at least one of them didn't really seem like he was the technology-centric guy. Um, I won't say which one in case he does find it, but he probably knows who he is. Um, <laughs> It was really interesting. Two of the scenarios were set in Eberron, which is the a new area that they've created for Dungeons and Dragons. And a lot of the shtick is that it's very Old West centric, but then it has a lot of constructs in it. So they're kind of magical constructs. They're not robots because they're not powered by electricity. They're powered by... It's like a magic cactus. Yeah, yeah. Well, not necessarily magic cactus, but it's an actual like living creature that's magical-based as opposed to... Cactus man. Cact cact sure, cactus man. Yeah. And so the setting gave off a lot of kind of Old West vibes. It seemed like a futuristic Old West, kind of like Firefly 
to some extent. Um, and it had like sort of these different warring factions. It seemed a lot more like outworldy as opposed to some of the areas in Dungeons and Dragons that are well known, like Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate are like highly like developed cities. Uh, and one of the DMs was talking about what he liked about this is because it's something new. Like you had a little bit more free reign as a DM to create that world. And uh, Wizards of the Coast, who creates Dungeons and Dragons now, um, have done a really good job of leaving it more open ended, not defining what every single thing is. Whereas instead, now with like Waterdeep or Baldur's Gate or a lot of those other cities that are really well known in Faerun, the problem with that is that they know that the three taverns in this quadrant of the city are this, this, and this, and the inns are this, and the shops are this. And so they don't really have a lot of free reign to just make stuff up in these games that more serious people play. And so Eberron gives them a little bit more of that uh, flexibility to do that. So yeah, so I created a character um, through the three scenarios. I leveled him up to level two. Uh, he, he was a gnome monk named Fibblestib <laughs> Boondiggles. It sounds like the most Joey character. <laughs> and and my, my catchphrase, my catchphrase was my friends call me Fib, but none of you are my friends. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> Which is a really good way to introduce your character to a table. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I hadn't played a monk before. I, I've played a paladin and I've tinkered with a couple other classes and seen a lot of other classes played, but never really done anything with a monk. So it was a lot of fun. Some really interesting things that you can do. Uh, with attacks and flexibility with how you can engage and disengage uh, and pull aggro at times if you need to, but you're still a little weak to really hold it for super long. Uh, but yeah, had a lot of fun. All of the all of the DMs were super loose with things and, and just a lot of fun to play with and, and had fun with a group of people that I was with too. And then the randoms that were playing with us were a lot of fun also. So Speaking of the group of people you're with, if only you had a friend who like ran a gaming website and podcast and was into D and D. So, and I was going to ask you, even though I figured it would be a no, but I figured it would have been a no. But it would have been nice I know. to be invited. I'm sorry, I was going to ask you, but then I was like, well, you're just going to say no. So I should have just asked you, and I apologize for that. That's all right. I'll just <laughs> sit at home on my Halloween nights and think about D and D instead of actually like playing D and D. Think about Pat sitting on his boat and think about how we could like play with our things together and. You know, well, you could you know, Skype. You could play with your things, you know, oh, on the screen. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> then I gotta like flip open the computer, and ain't nobody got time for that, Burns. Well, you have an iPad, right? Yeah, but it's really old, and I don't remember where the charging cable is. <laughs> like, sounds like you've got nothing but problems, man. Life is hard, my friend. Life is hard. So, what is <laughs> True Dungeon? So yeah, so True Dungeon is one of the other big things that um, that we did here, and so. What would it be like to merge the concept concept of Dungeons and Dragons, so fantasy setting, with escape rooms, so having to figure out clues and find your way out of situations, and then mix that with sort of the Chuck E. Cheese animatronics that you see if you've ever been to a Chuck E. Cheese before? You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like if Tom took LSD. <laughs> well, some of this stuff might have been developed. And I've never done drugs, and it's highly unlikely that I ever will, but it sounds like that would be exactly the dreamscape that I would inhabit. <laughs> so, so True Dungeon is basically that. So you create your character, and they have constraints with it. 
and it's very similar. It's your similar trappings of what Dungeons and Dragons is. So you have wizards, you have fighters, you have a dwarf fighter, an elf wizard also, and then you have rogues, monks, so on and so forth. And how it works then is your it's not quite LARPing because you don't really have to play the role. You're just playing as that class as you go through. And so you have a placard that you wear around your neck and you get a little light because it gets dark in there so you can see it. And so I usually play a wizard. We've done this four times now. I've played a wizard three times. I was a bard once. So the bard, if you're the bard, everybody gets a bonus as long as the bard is singing. So when you're the bard, all you do throughout all of the fighting parts of the dungeon is sing. So it's awesome. It's it's awesome. But then you feel like you're so disconnected from everything in a fight because all you're doing is just back there saying and sing, sing, sing with a And I'm terrible at remembering like lyrics to songs. So a lot of it just ends up being humming, which is fine. They say you can hum as long as the bard song is going. Everybody gets their bonus. But was that Swing Swing by All American Rejects? It was. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's a lovely song. We're the same, Joey. <laughs> we are the same. If you're... If you're a fighting class, what you get is you get these chips. So the whole game is based around these chips and these poker. They look like poker chips. I have one. Oh, I thought my jacket was across the room. It's right. It here. turns out it's literally right it's next literally to you. Right next to me. So this is an example of a weapon in True Dungeon. It looks like a cock and balls, Joey. It's a. What is the it? old shaman's rattle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to feel my shaman's rattle. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to hold it by the shaft? Or do you want me to hold it by the uh, round bits at the end of it? Don't worry. I'll hit you over the head with it. All right. Well, thanks for keeping it simple. <laughs> so how it works is all of your items are like this. And so you get blind packs of these. And actually, I do have more in my bag that I can show you afterwards. And all these items will give you different bonuses to your armor class, so on and so forth. Just like. Dungeons and Dragons, any other RPG. Uh, with the weapons, what you do is there's like a little puck slider that you put these into, and then you slide it like it's a shuffleboard puck at an outline of the monster, which is segmented out into different armor classes to hit. So at different parts of it, it's easier to hit and does more damage than other parts of the monster. So you slide it there. Everybody does their slide so it could knock things off. Um, and then the magic users go up and cast magic. And how that works is, depending upon what type of magic... Tell me you throw beanbags at the outlines. No, nothing like that. Nuts. You have to do skill checks. And so for a wizard, you have a placard that's a diamond shape, and it has all these random shapes on it that represent all of the planes that you can pull magic from. So what they'll say is, where is shadow? And you have to point at the little triangle that's shadow. So you have to remember what that all is. Um, for druids, it has leaf shapes. And they'll say, what leaf shape is this? And you have to say, that's buckeye or that's oak. Um, and then there's beads for the cleric that has to say, what does this bead stand for? There's runes for the bard if you're casting a bard spell. And, and so it's just this weird thing. Each room then that's a combat room has a DM in it that keeps track of the stats and what's happening. Um, and then there's either an animatronic that's like moving around like it's trying to attack you or swinging or, ro or roaring or and all this stuff. Or it's going to be someone in a costume play acting as that yes. creature and then like making snarling remarks. If they get hit, they're like, ah, <laughs> it's cheesy. But 
if it's a really good person doing that, it's so much fun. Last year when I was the bard, we were in a room with two enemies and I was singing and dancing around and then they just started chasing me around the room. Yeah. And so I just was skipping around singing and they were trying to chase me and catch me. It was, it was weird, stupid fun. <laughs> um, and so you work your way through and the rooms kind of alternate between a combat room and then there'll be a puzzle of some sort. And then you have to work as a group to try to figure out the answer to the puzzle. Otherwise, you'll take damage or lose experience and so on and so forth. Uh, it, it's about like seven or eight scenarios long. So it lasts about an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and you just kind of run through this path and do all these different things. And when you get to the end, you're usually facing off against a big bad. Uh, so for this one, for, for the second one that we did uh, at Gamehole Con, it was... Smog? A, no, it was a big horned demon that, I'm not lying, was 20 feet tall. And it was an animatronic that just kept like moving around hmm. and looking. And then the other character was a mind flayer. And that actually looked really cool, too. So it had the full head uh, mind slayer because mind flayers TM'd. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but and it had all the tentacles on the face and it just looked really cool. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. It's really interesting. They only go to gaming conventions. Uh, they go to Gen Con, Origins, Gamehole Con, and then PAX South. So it's about four times a year that they do this. I've got to do this. And they develop new content each year. So if you ever go to Gen Con, it's more expensive at Gen Con. It's like 80-some dollars to do a run. But I would say it's worth it. And that leads me to the second part of it, which... So if you get a really good one of these chips, they can be worth an asinine amount of money. Like... Some of these chips will sell for like $800. Holy shit. Because people like to collect them or people are looking for just the right thing to put on their monk. And if you get that and you find the right person, like you can sell it for a ton. It's ridiculous. And so you get like packs of 10 of them for eight bucks. You get one pack as a part of your entrance. And then you can buy up to like packs of 72 for what was it, like 200-some bucks? It is insane. And there's people that they go to just all these conventions that this is at, and they just do runs throughout the entire convention and just try to go through as much as possible to get the treasure pulls at the end to see if they can get some of these really rare rare weapons or rare materials. That's very cool. And there's a whole like transmuting thing where you get transmuting materials and other things, and you can level them up to better versions of those things. It is the most ridiculous, crazy thing. It's been going on for like 20-some years, uh, which is also astounding that you just haven't ever heard of it until you go to a fucking random convention in Madison. Um, and that's what it was last year. It's just like, what's this True Dungeon thing? And so we went to a session where they explained how it works and they explained like the chip economy. And it was just like, this is the weirdest, craziest thing ever. And it's a lot of fun. It's worth, it's worth the 55 bucks, I think it was, for us to do each run. So... That was True Dungeon. Uh, the only other things we did, they have a, um, it's called the Milcog Board Game Library. So it's the Milwaukee something something of gamers. And what they do is they just basically have this huge board game library that they take to different conventions and events. You go there, you give them your ID, and then you check out a board game for two, three hours. Play it, return it, get your card back, or play another one. And they have just pretty much all the board games you can think of. Joey, between you and me, I think we have all the board games <laughs> I can think of. You'd be surprised. There's so much else out there. Uh, we just did one this year from that. 
And then uh, just a recommendation. We went to the Thirsty Goat. Uh, which is in Fitchburg. It which sounds is... like a very D&D convention-appropriate location. <laughs> it's actually just your typical bar restaurant, but the food was fantastic, and they had lots of good, for people that drink craft beers, had lots of different craft beers on tap. Um, but they have burnt ends, if you've ever had like barbecue burnt ends, brisket burnt ends. So freaking good. Um, I, I broke my diet for those, uh, but it was well worth it. That was GameholeCon. It was a ton of fun. Uh, thanks to Adam, Mark, and Jack, who are the people that I went with. Uh, it, was, it was so much fun to hang out with them. And yeah, next year, I will make sure to invite you. And I will make it happen. Yes. GameholeCon sounds really, really cool. You mentioned the board game library. Frequent listeners know that we love our board games at OIO. Let's discuss some of our recommendations for what nerds should ask for from Santa this year. I'm going to start with something that came out this year, Marvel Champions. It is a Marvel living card game. Now, I haven't actually played it, but I am a big fan of the Lord of the Rings living card game, and this is supposed to be a pretty accessible game with the Marvel license. Like, I am so excited to play with Spider-Man and Venom. Yeah, it's actually, supposedly it's based off of the Warhammer Quest card game that Fantasy Flight put out, uh, and it's fully cooperative, so you're working together to try to kill a bad guy. Also a big selling point for the Sidlogic family. Um, I, one of my other friends, Adam, that I went to GameholeCon with was talking about it, and he really wants to buy into it, but supposedly they're working on a campaign version of it. Yes. Um, but that's not out yet, and they haven't really said when that's going to be released, but that sounds cool because then a lot of it is about collecting different materials. So you start off as basic Iron Man or basic Captain America, and then you get upgrades for your different helmets, weapons, so on and so forth, uh, and then you get better and better and stronger and stronger. <laughs> As you go through the campaign, so it sounds really cool. I can't wait to upgrade my Peter Tingle. <laughs> now, you've got a pretty healthy list here for this section. Why don't you take us through a couple of your board game choices? Yeah, so um, one of the games that we played over, uh, over I've, I've played over the last couple of weeks, I bought it from the fella who made Scythe, Jamie Stegmeyer, uh, his Stonemeyer Games. And it's called Tapestry. And so what it is is it's a quick-to-learn but difficult-to-master civilization-style game from Stonemeyer Games. And so if you think about Scythe, it's a different graphic design, but still like really high quality. Everything, like the cards feel like like hefty and the board is really well designed and thought out. All of the all of the materials that you use uh, throughout it are like really good looking meeples and everything like that. Uh, so basically how it works is everybody starts off as your civilization starts the game and you're all makers of fire. So that's the start of every civilization. But then unlike, unlike other Civ games or like your very standard, like civilization, Sid Meier civilization, you then draw tapestry cards uh, that end up being the fabric of what your civilization is made up for. And as you play the game in advance on either like technology, exploration, military, or can't remember the fourth one, but those there's tracks along religion, the board. Probably. It's not religion, but you move up the different tracks and you determine each turn. Basically your turn is 
you go up a track, you pay a resource, you go up one of the tracks and you determine then you get a benefit from doing that thing. So if it's exploration, you get to draw tiles, which then you put down when you do another action action on the exploration table to put things to put things onto the map. So you actually put hexes down there and you get bonus points for the better job that you do to make all of the features of the map match up. So if you have mountains and then desert, if you can make mountains and desert match up and then an ocean over here with this tile, you get more points, more victory points. And then after you get to the point where you've used all of those resources for that era, you lay down that tapestry card, which is then going to give your civilization either an instant boost. So you gain X amount of resources or you're able to draw this many cards or this many tiles for exploration uh, or you're able to put down one of your military outposts to take over an area. And then you collect more money based upon how good you're doing in the game. And then you move forward all the while on the side of your sort of tapestry board where you're showing what your civilization is. You then have your capital city, which you're putting in different armories or markets and things like that. And then if you're the first to advance to a new era along one of the four tracks around the board, you unlock a landmark. So if you are the first one to get to the second level of technology, you unlock the rubber factory. And so you put the rubber factory down and each of the buildings is shaped in a different way. And you have to try to make it fit onto your capital city around the, around the other buildings that you've built and the impassable terrain that you can't build upon. And it's just this really weird, interesting game. In the meantime, you're unlocking different technologies that give you different bonuses and you're creating what your civilization is. So the first time I played the game, my civilization ended up being ruled by a dictator. Uh, Sounds like you. Who then had pirate rule as one of their things after that. And it's just like all of these like really bad things. And I'm, I'm like this happy-go-lucky person. <laughs> but apparently my civilization was like hardcore a-holes. But it's a lot of fun. I've played the game four times now. I haven't won it once. But I've still had... A lot of fun playing it, which is all that really matters with a board game. Is there any direct conflict in it, or are you all kind of in your separate areas building your civilization? So you start off in different areas, and then as you sort of explore and put down tiles, you can sort of encroach on each other. And so say you have an outpost on a hex. I could take and attack your outpost. At most, there can only ever be two outposts on there. So once I attack you, that's it. So I would always hold that space. But... Some of the tapestry cards are trap cards. You lay that, you then topple their outpost so they don't get to take you over. You're forever protected on that space, and you end up getting free resources because you sprung the trap on them. Nice. It sounds like this game would be a very poor fit for my Mora group of friends who like to chuck dice and kill people. Yeah, it it might be a little different for them to try different means paddle hit it <laughs> but it's something i've played it most of the times i've played it i've played it two players and it's a lot of fun so it, something that we could just do sometime oh we can have tom and joey date night <laughs> so that's tapestry the next game i wanted to talk about and i've only played this one once uh and that's wingspan now that's also made by stonemeyer games and that it came out earlier this year, but it's been hard to find, but now it's much more readily available. Tapestry actually just came out November 1st, so that's a like a brand new board game. But anyway, so Wingspan, basically what you're doing, and it's going to sound really stupid, like why would this be a game? So th maybe this will work for the Mora group. I shake my head no. <laughs> um, but 
you're basically building the perfect ecology of birds. Get the fuck out of my house, Aaron. <laughs> so it it comes, the game comes with 180 cards. All of them are a different species of either North American or South American bird. They actually just released the European bird wingspansion for it. Um, wingspansion so is pretty good. I'll give them that. Wingspansion is amazing. Um, so Who do you think listens to this show, Burns? <laughs> Bunch of GD bird nuts. So, so basically what you're doing is this is an engine builder. So what you're trying to do is build the right set of birds that give you the right amount of abilities to maximize what you're doing. So you have three different levels of things that you can do on a turn. You can either gather resources, um, and that's all done by rolling five dice through a bird a birdhouse dice tower. Perfect. So you gather resources that come up from that, or you can lay eggs into nests, or you draw cards that are different birds that are out there, or you can take a blind one from the pile. And then each of the birds will have some sort of an ability on them. And so what you do is you put birds in a row based upon either being the collect resources, which is the forest, the uh, lay eggs, which is the sort of fields, and then the water, which is the draw cards area. And as you put cards down in the different, as you put cards down in the different ecologies, you get to draw more cards, lay more eggs, or gather more resources. The more that are covered up. And so then, say I have three birds in the forest. That means when I collect resources, I'm able to collect three resources and can discard a card to get another resource. So really powerful. Then after you do that, it goes through each of your birds and you get to do the action on each of those birds. So you're able to then steal eggs from another player. And then you're able to, for a victory point, put a resource on that bird that can't... And that resource can't ever go away. And then the next one is able to spawn eggs on all of the other areas. And it's just you're trying to build like the best way to maximize the amount of things that happen every time you take a turn. It's really interesting. It sounds incredibly stupid, but it's a lot of fun. I once made this group of friends play Tokaido. It was Pat, and it was Jake, and I think it was Duhau, and it was me. Yeah. And that day shall forever live in gaming infamy because they hated Tokaido <laughs> with a burning, fiery passion. They were like, I have to sit in a hot spring. I'm going to take a picture of this shit. I have to buy some food. Like, they still ridicule me. And Tokaido is a fun game. It I enjoyed it. It's a fun game, yeah. It's- After I played it with you, I bought it. So, so I would... I would be very interested in playing Wingspan with you, but I don't think I'm going to be rushing to the store to uh, pick it up myself. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I get that. I get that. Um, so the next two, I'll go through these fairly quickly, are going to be for tabletop RPGs. So as we know, one of the most anticipated video games of next year is Cyberpunk 2077. What some people tend to forget is that video game is actually based upon a 30-year-old a tabletop RPG system called Cyberpunk. And so to drum up interest in the game, they have released the Cyberpunk Red RPG starter set. And so it has two books in it. One of the books is about uh, the lore of Cyberpunk. So it'll give you a good idea of what you can expect in the game. And then the second book is all of the resources you need. It has pre-generated characters that you can use or a way that you can create your own characters and then a mini scenario that you can run through in the world of cyberpunk. And so that sounds like if you're, especially if you're looking at trying to get yourself 
more amped up for CG, CD Projekt Red's next game, that could be something that you could jump into. If, from all this talk about Dungeons & Dragons, you're just interested in getting in on the D&D 5e train, uh, you can pick up either the starter box or the essentials box. Uh, and they're like, I think they're 30 or $40. Pretty cheap, pretty easy entry. What that does is that gives you four pre-generated characters, so enough to play the game with five players. Uh, one set of dice, you're probably going to want more than that, but you could get by with just one set of dice. And then each box has slightly different things. The second box comes with uh, fully-fledged maps that you can use uh, to show where you're doing the adventure at. Each one also comes with a scenario that you can run through from level one to five. And so, and they're actually pretty meaty. You would think it wouldn't be a lot, but the first group that I DM'd for, we did the Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is what comes in the, in the starter box. And we ran eight times and maybe got through a fourth that's awesome. Of the stuff. So it's, I mean, and it, it really your mileage is going to vary. It depends upon how fast your group just trudges through things. If they don't do a lot of side stuff, they don't get sidetracked. Not a lot of role playing. You'll probably burn through it a lot faster. But bang for your buck, it's a really good way to get in there. It has all the spells that you would probably need at first level in there. Has any of the monsters that are in the scenarios have all their stat lines in there. So it's a really good place to start. Um, there's also then, I didn't put it on here. But then there's also the, if you're a really big fan of Stranger Things, they put out a Dungeons & Dragons starter set. Of course they did. Based around the what they do in the first season of Stranger Things. The, Are you into Stranger Things? I've watched the first season and the first couple of episodes of the second season. It's pretty fun. It's a good show. I yeah, enjoyed it. I haven't it. watched it at all. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to it someday. Hope to get to it someday. But there's a lot of stuff to watch. Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, but yes, and those D&D starters and essentials boxes, you can get those either at Target, because Target sells all this gaming stuff now. Um, so they're available, fully available at Target or Amazon or any of your friendly local game stores. One game that I'm excited about, I didn't even know this existed until just recently, mm-hmm. but there is a Batman Talisman game. Now, I've I've never played the original Talisman game, but I've always been intrigued by it. It's sort of a fantasy experience, loot gathering, very Tom-friendly yeah. thing. And this new version of it, you, it's basically a reskin of the Talisman game. You play as an inmate of Arkham Asylum. You're leveling up as you work your way to the control room to release all of the inmates. And one thing that I think is particularly neat is that Batman is an NPC moving around the board trying to thwart you. Yeah, I mean, that does sound really interesting. I, I have played... I don't think it was the original version of Talisman, but it was the re-release that was very faithful to it. Has some clunky things to do with it that I'm sure being reskinned and put into the Batman universe probably cleans up a bit. Um, but it is a lot of fun to sort of traverse through the areas, avoid like the bad guys you know are going to tear you apart. Um, so I, I don't know that does sound really interesting, and I do like the fact that you're a villain trying to avoid the Batman. It seems like a really cool version, and I would love to jump in at this point. Yeah, I mean, and that seems like a fun way to play it. So if you buy it, I'll play it with you. Awesome. Or if that- somebody buys it for you. Yeah. You want to give out your address on the podcast? I'm just kidding. Yeah, beautiful Roseville, Minnesota. <laughs> so what else is old could possibly be re-released? Dune. 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 <laughs> See, I love that you were on the same wavelength as I was on that. Uh, I quote basketball nearly every single day of my <laughs> life. And when I play too much of it, I get kicked out of strip clubs. Um, (laughs) So the Dune re-release, they're re-releasing. It was one of the classic board games. It was actually 
the precursor to Twilight Imperium. Uh, Twilight Imperium was based off of a similar system to what Dune was. And so if, really, if you're really into that, uh, Gale Force 9 Games is putting or has put out a new version of that, which has been kind of hard to find as it just came out like a couple months ago. I saw today at the source they had one copy. So if you're really excited and you live in Roseville, head to the source, pick it up as soon as you hear this. Maybe it's there. It might be gone. I know uh, Josh, who we, I play Gloomhaven with, uh, is a huge fan of Dune, read all the books, really loves it. And so excited for the new the new movie that's supposed to be coming out. Sorry, here's a real quick yeah. aside. A couple of years, I got my brother of the law, Eric, um, Dune, the original book for Christmas, and he really enjoyed it. And I thought that it was the like entire collection of Dune books in one paperback because it is a massive, oh, yeah. massive paperback. It's like damn near six inches thick. Nope, just the first book. Yep, just the first book. I should read that too someday. It's pretty good. It's enjoyable. I think it's stood this test of time fairly well. So I think you, I think you'd enjoy it. Another thing I think you would enjoy as I Keyforge has come out with a their third, not edition, expansion. It's not really expansion either. Their third season, I guess maybe that's the best way to put it, called Worlds Collide. And so what's different with this one? They had the Age of Ascension that came out six months ago, and that was really just the same five houses. Uh, new cards, new abilities, new things. But now they have two new factions that exist within here. So they have the Grand Star Alliance. So what the Grand Star Alliance is, is it's actually a mixture of all the other races that have formed together. And basically, they're like the Star Trek Federation. And so they, they're traveling through space and their design is very like 50s sci-fi. Like, you're, yes, you're really... Like the idealized version of the explorers of space and how they would look, uh, which I think is really cool. I was kind of bummed that I didn't get them um, in one of the two packs that we opened up before the podcast here. We is a strong term. I'm sorry. I I opened it up and then showed you a couple of them. But then the other one is the Saurian Republic. And if you were here, you could see the Saurian Republic is basically just dinosaurs, sentient dinosaurs. They're actually one of the smarter races throughout here, even though they have small brains. Don't tell them I said that. Uh, And their whole shtick is that they're this sort of isolationist society that's far mentally far superior to everybody else. So they've tried to stay above it all. But now they feel like that they have to they have to forge some effing keys. Yeah, they have to go in there, forge some keys in the crucible to make things work. So uh, I don't know. It seems interesting, breathing a little bit of light in it. So what they've done is that two of the factions from the first two expansions are setting out. This time, so Mars and then the really light guys. I can't remember what their name was at the, off the top of my head. But those two are setting it out for setting out this time. So um, if you have those decks, those factions, you just can't use them? Well, the way that Keyforge works, though, is you wouldn't use them anyway. Because how Keyforge works is you just buy your decks and you play the deck as it is. There's no mixing and matching, no anything like that. And you just play them heads up. So you could still play decks from those other sets it's just not going to have some of the same abilities that this set has, which supposedly it's supposed to all be balanced so that they're still all functioning and still all will work with each other. But I have a sense of skepticism with Keyforge. 
I haven't played it yet. Yeah. I have a sense of excitement for it, too. I think it's going to be a very fun game that I'm going to go super into it. But I just have, there's a little nagging skepticism for me. There's a finite number of combinations of cards and yeah. races and characters. And for some reason, that just that just bothers me a little bit. And well, I can't really put a finger on it. Well, and the whole thing, the, the, the whole game is randomized. So the name of the character, which is the commander of your deck, is randomized. So Kira's Signora Crow Xerxes. I am the only one that will have that deck called Kira's Signora Crow Xerxes. Sort of like how I have Lieutenant O. Rumplegus as one of my other decks. And, and the combinations of the cards are randomized to some extent. I think that might be the problem. Yeah. Randomization does not necessarily mean good gameplay, and that's maybe where my fear is. Now, the other interesting thing is that, so there's an app that goes with it where you can scan your decks um, and log like the wins and losses, and then if you play in competitive play, it'll log how powerful or how weak that deck is, and within the game, they have what are called chains. That's their balancing mechanic. So the stronger a deck is, the more chains you get. The more chains you get, that means that you start off the game with fewer cards in your hand. And then as the game goes on, your chain gets weaker and weaker until you're drawing more and more cards. There's some cards that add to the chain again because that's a really strong ability. And so that's kind of their balancing mechanic, whereas if it's a weaker one, you get more cards in your hand, so you're able to get more out there and hopefully be able to compete. So that's how they say they balance it. Your experience? Um. I haven't played it enough to really see how powerful decks can be. So I've played I've played like a couple of the decks a couple of times and then the rest of the decks I've bought I've played just once or they're still unopened because I want to save it for when you know we'd go through and play like a little tournament with one deck. Yeah, know? why don't we have a Keyforge day? I would be more than happy to do that. I probably would have enough decks for us to to, to sort of supply all of them for that day. And I have like eight, too. So yeah. between the two of us, I think we'd have plenty of decks for a day. Let's make that happen. Okay, we can do that for sure. So that's Keyforge. Um, and now the one thing I feel like, because we've talked about it like on every podcast that I've been on. Our favorite, our favorite game and actually a very surprisingly popular thing on the website as well. Yeah. The Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is a phenomenal game. In my 2019, our 2019 Holiday Buyer's Guide, I'm going to say, don't buy Gloomhaven. Why shouldn't people buy Gloomhaven? Two very specific reasons. I was literally looking for it on Amazon to add it to my wish list today. (laughs) Now, if you have a group of, I'm going to put a caveat in it right away. If you have a group of two, three, four people, including yourself, that you know are ready and willing to play right now, I would say buy it. You'll probably be able to find it for a pretty good price it's it's been one of those things that'll pop up every now and again and be on sale for eighty bucks, ninety bucks, as opposed to the one pretty good price. Yeah, I mean it's still expensive, but it's it's a good price for what that game is. Um, I would recommend that if you have a group that's ready to play it, play it. If you don't think you'll get to it right away, I would wait because quarter three, twenty twenty, they've already announced that they're releasing an expansion that is acting as a prologue. And is also acting as a starter set for Gloomhaven. Yes. So you get four new characters with that. You get the new way that they're handling the scenarios, which is actually two scenario books. And you, instead of having tiles to create the dungeons, you just put the deck, the books, open them up and put them side by side. And you play on the scenario map in the book. 
fascinating. And it comes with um, all new monsters. I don't know if they said how many, but there's like five or six new monster types in there. And it's all self-contained, supposed to just be 20 scenarios, cheaper than what the full game is. And it's a good way to get started. See if you like it. Then you can buy the full version of Gloomhaven and continue forward with that. So that's the first reason why I would say maybe hold off, because if you don't think you would play until next September, you know, August, September, October, um, that might be a good time to jump in. Also, uh, PAX Unplugged, which is the PAX board game convention uh, and tabletop role-playing convention, uh, is in Philadelphia the beginning of December, and the creator of Gloomhaven has announced that they're going to announce the first details on the big box expansion, which is supposed to be the same size as the original Gloomhaven for Gloomhaven. It might be best to wait and find out if they're going to be doing as a part of like the Kickstarter for that, something where you can get for a cheap Kickstarter price. for it. Jesus Christ. The game was $120. It's one of the most popular board games in America right now. Like how is there a Kickstarter? He doesn't have a giant pile of money to get this game made. Well, so the way that Kickstarter works is it's all about really you're making you make some money off of each one, yes. But the problem with board games compared to a lot of other a, a lot of a lot of other things is that it costs a lot in order to just make the game before you could even take it to retail to sell it. And so a lot of more independent people which Cephalofair Games, which puts out Gloomhaven, is just Isaac Childress, the guy who created it, and like a couple people that work for him. I reached out to him for an interview, and he never deigned to respond, so he can uh, <laughs> eat a big one. <laughs> um, but with him, so so that's one of those things where if it's a big enough game, he probably doesn't necessarily have the seed money to know for sure whether he could do it or not. Now. People like Jamie Stegmeyer, who created Scythe and all these things. Scythe and was, Wingspan. Don't forget Wingspan. Well, he didn't. He sold that. He didn't create it. Another designer created it. But Scythe was actually his last Kickstarter game because he finally got to the point with his business that he could afford to create the games and sell them on his own. Before that, he still needed to know what the market was in order to pay for everything that he wanted to put into the game and have that money to start with in order to begin that production. And so um, PAX Unplugged, beginning of December, they're going to announce what the next expansion is. Good chance that if there is a Kickstarter for it, there will be some all-in by that and the original Gloomhaven, and it would probably be cheaper than if you ended up buying them separate. So if you don't think you're going to play it for another two years... Which, honest to God, I probably won't. So, so that's the only reason why I would say maybe don't purchase Gloomhaven. But like I said, if you have a group of people that are ready and raring to go, I would say jump in, have fun. And I, like I said, I'd be more than happy to sit in and be rules lawyer and help you just understand how to get into the flow of the game because we've played it plenty of times now and it helps to have that little bit of a guided hand. You're so good at that. If that's an offer for the general public, you can hit Joey up on the Twitter machine at, at HobbyBoxBurns. I do read things on Twitter a lot. I just... I'm I'm a weird person in that I don't really think there's enough going on in my life that's interesting enough to actually pump out to the like the grand population. You don't think you're interesting? I have a monthly column for Christ's sakes. You know how hard it is to rack my brain to think of things to talk about every month. It's like, oh, here's something else that happened in my personal life. Yeah, but 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 like you have a family and stuff like that. Like 
me, if I was doing a monthly column, it would be just like all well, the sweet games that you're playing. Yeah, I, I, I played, I, I played Erica. It's a lot better than the Quiet Man. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, this that the, sounds like gold, Birdie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Maybe that could be a tear. The last thing that I have on my list here is actually something you just shared with me today. I didn't know that this exists, but now that I know that it does, it wants to drag me back to a game I haven't played in many years. It is the Orville set of Heroclix. I haven't played Heroclix probably in five years, maybe a little bit less than that, but it's been a long time. I was super into it when it first came out, like to the point where I bought a case of boosters for an early set. and It was a game we used to play a whole lot of. 10, 15 years ago, but as everyone grew up and kind of grew apart, it just has been a priority. Oh my God, I want the Orville. <laughs> now, my wife and I, we used, now is also a transition word I use very often, we used Pacific Rim Hero Clicks in some of the centerpieces for our wedding, which was pretty cool, combining my love of gaming and my love, my absolute adoration of Pacific Rim. <laughs> And I bet the Orville crew would kick a lot of the old sets' asses because Hero Clicks, as new sets come out, they're typically much more powerful than the older sets. So, well, I was in the source not today, but a week ago. Apparently, they've also released WWE Hero Clicks and TMNT. So, like, yeah. you can have the Battle Royale to end all Battle Royales. And supposedly, Stone Cold Steve Austin is the most broken Hero Click out there. Because he just runs into a mob of whatever and just does stone cold stunners over and over and over again and can't be stopped. Just like real life. Just like real life. It's it's hero clicks imitating life, which is what we want. This is why board games are great. I couldn't be any happier than I am right now thinking about the Orville hero clicks. (laughs) We've talked about a lot of very interesting games here. Board gaming can be an excruciatingly expensive habit. Where can we find some of the best deals on games? Yeah, so especially over the holidays, there's going to be lots of different deals that pop up. So Amazon, as always, they have their big Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. So take a look at them. They're, they always have board gaming stuff on sale. Every now and again at random parts of the year, they'll run board game specific sales too. I don't remember they do that over the holidays, but there's usually games that are in there during the holidays. Uh, if you're looking at more gaming specific areas, Miniature Market always has a holiday sale on a lot of their stock. Your mileage may vary as to whether you find something you're interested in or not. They tend to have a lot of stuff in their warehouse in St. Louis that they're... It seems like a lot of times the same stuff is on sale over and over and over again. But for the big like holiday sale, it tends to be a lot like broader range of things that are on sale. So I would recommend taking a look at them. Uh, you can sign up for their newsletter if you're interested in seeing that. They do have like a deal of the day that what it does is it starts off discounted and then it stays, it continues to discount by a percentage every single day. They call it the daily drop, actually. It gets discounted more and more every day until it gets to a certain amount sold of it. (coughs) And so it's interesting because it'll start off at 4% off and then they'll drop it another 4% and another 4%. So it becomes this game as to, okay, they probably haven't gotten to there yet. So I'm going to give the Quarriers edition with everything in it. I'm going to give it one more day. Oh, don't you miss that Quarriers. One more day to get to that sweet spot. It's going to be 
almost the price I wanted, and it, and it, and it sold out. <laughs> I've had that happen a couple times. And in that instance, I probably didn't need the thing, but still, uh, that will it, happen. It's hard to pass up a good deal. Yes, it is. Um, my poor wife, anytime I find something I want on sale, like I just badger her and badger her and badger her until I get what I want. <laughs> See, well, that's that's what the holidays are all about. It's also kind of how I got her to marry me. So, you know, it's, I'm nothing if not consistent. I mean, if she didn't like that, she should have broken you of that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like going to the bathroom in the corner. Yeah, well, that's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. I mean, you know, rolling around in it's probably maybe a little excessive after you do go in the corner. But hey, I know a guy who has a story about two legs of shorts in college. Tom, is this a poop? (laughs) (laughs) So if you're looking at more local, if you're living local to Minnesota, um, a couple places that you can look at. I'm back. The source in Roseville uh, has a huge Black Friday sale. Um, This year, if you bring a non-perishable food item and you're a member, you pay $10 to be a member of their Adventures Club. And if you're a member of the Adventures Club, you get 10% off of everything in the store. Uh, if you bring a non-perishable food item on Black Friday, you get another 10% off. So that's 20% off everything in the store. They also discount a lot of other things. So that's the source. They're open, I think, all day on Black Friday from like 9 a.m. until probably – they usually close at like midnight on Fridays and Saturdays. So I also sent them an email asking if they'd want to do an interview for the show, and they also did not deign to respond. So the source can also eat a big one. <laughs> and then there's uh, Level Up Games in Minneapolis and Hastings. Uh, they usually do buy two, get one free. Uh, they also have a loyalty program through like Square, you know, the the payment service, not the maker of Final Fantasy. Um, but basically you can earn points and then you get five, 10, 15, 20 dollars off in future ones. Uh, so that's level up games. Uh, they have two locations now in Minneapolis and Hastings. It's a bummer. They had to close the two that I actually went to in Egan and South St. Paul. But uh, that's business. Brick and mortar is great. I love it. But ultimately, I'm going to go where I can get the best deal. No, I mean, resources are finite. You got to do what you got to do. And is if it keeps you gaming, I mean, you can't really, I can't shame you for that. Sure. And by like the time we buy it from a retail store, like they've already paid the game creator for it. So like, you know, right. I can't be solely responsible for the economy. I can only do what I can do to buy as many games as possible. Yeah. I mean, and as long as you're buying things, it helps keep the greater industry Nothing can stop Amazon at this point. They will be the Skynet that kills us all. I mean, that's just what it is. Them and Google. Will it be Amazon or will it be Disney? I mean, it, it could be. Have you signed up for Disney Plus yet? No, I have not. And I want to so badly because I want to watch The Mandalorian. I'm staring at the door just to see if the jackbooted Disney police kick the door open and come attack us for saying we haven't ordered it yet. They haven't, though. So I think we're okay. How... How are we going to do a show with that looming over our heads? I think we'll find a way. Through that, maybe we've done most of a show. I don't know. Well, I mean, one would say that if they are going to come through the door any minute, this could be the final countdown of our life. (laughs) There are so many things I want to say to you right now, Joey. I love you. So... uh, (laughs) I was using that as a lead into the final countdown, but apparently that didn't work. It's time now for the final countdown. Tom Awesome's top five countdown. 
five, four, three, two, one. This month for Tom Awesome's Top 5, I'm going to list my top 5 consoles of all time. Because we're getting near the end of the life for my beloved PlayStation 4, and, you know, it's just that we're getting near the end of the year. It's a time of reflection, almost a time of giving thanks. Number 5, the PlayStation Vita. I don't know why people hate this machine so much. Like, it's my portable Final Fantasy machine. I wish there were more titles. I guess that's why people hate it. There isn't a great games library for it, but I've gotten a ton of use out of it. There, There's a lot of games for it, but like you said, there's not a ton of them that are, like, great, great, great. But for me, the Vita would be in my top five. Well, it is in my top five. But even if the only game I ever played on it was Persona, Persona 4, 4 Golden... Golden it's still top five game console of all time because that gave me that gem of a game. So Also, the battery life was really nice on it. Like mm-hmm. I could play multiple hours and hours of Final Fantasy without having a charge. Playing on the Switch, like going from the Vita to the Switch, oh, that's a jarring battery life. It's like multiple nights of play sessions to a night and a half before having to go on the cradle. Right. Proprietary memory for the Vita, though? Not so great that you can't find one that's 64 gigabytes anymore, and it's if you do, it's like 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer, but I mean, I just I had to buy micro SD cards for both of them. That's true. Same as these. Number four, the original PlayStation. There are several games that made me fall in love with gaming on this machine. Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy Tactics, <coughs> the franchise mode in John Madden football, and NCAA football. These For me, these all had roots on the original PlayStation, and it's... A, nostalgic console for me for sure and it would be rough to go back to now but i had so many happy hours with the original playstation i rank it number four all time now would this be number 360 this next one it is in fact number three the xbox 360 (laughs) i had a harder time thinking of the iconic games that i loved on 360 i still played a hell of a lot of ncaa football and the speed on the 360 was so much better for simming sports games uh but halo 2 was a revolutionary game halo 3 was it three on the 360? Yeah, two was on the Xbox still because I bought Halo 2 and I never owned a 360. I guess Halo 3. One of the Halos revolutionized online gaming on the Xbox 360 and paved the way for, I feel, the current generation of video games. Loved my 360. Used to drag that bitch with me everywhere. Went out to the East Coast with me multiple times when I did my baseball internships and uh, just ton of time with that console that was the only since like the playstation that was like the only console i didn't that was the only generation where i didn't buy a console like right when it came out i bought the ps3 a year and a half after it came out i believe when Uh, it went from six thousand dollars to like 800 yeah yeah it was reasonably priced i bought it used and it for the most part still worked um all the way through till when the ps4 came out and I got like five games for it for like $450 on eBay. Always a risk to buy that stuff like on eBay, but it worked out for me. Hooray for secondhand market. Mm-hmm. Now, number two and number one, I agonized over this decision. I'm going to say number two, Nintendo Switch. I love it. It's a great system. Number one, PlayStation 4. Uh, I mean, not a huge surprise there. It's got a huge game library. It's a kick-ass piece of machinery, and I've had it since launch, and I've put a lot of time onto it. Do you have any thoughts on my list? Um, I mean, I agree. PlayStation 4 
just because of like the time when it came out and the amount that I've been able to use that system, PlayStation 4 would be my favorite. Is surprising that what a lot of people regard as the one of the best consoles of all are two of the best consoles of all time, the PS2 and the Wii aren't on your list. But even more egregious is that there's nothing older than the PlayStation on your list. I mean, come on, the Super Nintendo or sorry, Genesis, yeah, Mr. Sega. I mean, those wouldn't be top five worthy. Old games suck, Burns. <laughs> I mean, do you play the Genesis now? Yeah, Sonic still feels fast, but like, uh, I have a healthy do- dose of nostalgia, especially for the Sega Genesis. And I bought a PS2 at launch, and I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. But the five that I listed are the consoles that I think that I had the most fun with overall. Number one, Nintendo 64, <coughs> just because of Perfect Dark. <coughs> Perfect Dark still holds up to this day. It's easy to play. So much fun now. Oh, it's such a turd now. Yeah, it's terrible. That game was amazing when it came out. <laughs> it is terrible now. I Can't hated the 64 back. controller, though. I really, really, with a burning passion, hated that stupid controller. I have friends who say it's the best video game controller, and it's not even close. You're doing a wonderful thing with your hands now where you're emulating, using the stupid joystick and using the stupid D-pads. Now I'm doing it, too. And then you got the D-pad over here where you hit that with your nose with that? Yeah, and... <laughs> Hands down, the worst controller that's ever been used in video games, and anyone that disagrees with me is a moron. Agreed. Thank you, Joey. Wait, the GameCube controller is pretty stupid, too. Yeah, I would rank that right behind or right in front of the next dumbest next to the N64. And anybody who uses a GameCube controller to play Smash yeah, on, give it to him, on Burns. the Switch? Yeah, give it to him. You are weak sauce. Oh... Mic drop. Show's over. Go home. It's not over. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. We're still here. <laughs> so what do we miss? Tweet your thoughts at Tom underscore underscore awesome. Now, Bernsey, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You only get to play one console that currently exists for the rest of your life. No more consoles, and all the co- other consoles that you have have to go into the incinerator. What are you sticking with? Do I get the guarantee that the console will like never break down ever, or I'll get like a replacement for that exact model? You can get a replacement or whatever. Like you'll always have access to that console and the library of games on it. Oh, mine is the OG PS3 because you could play PS1 and PS2 games on it as well. I don't know. You can download PS1 games on PS4. Do you want to play any of that old shit, Burns? Well, I mean, you've made me play that old shit all year. Yeah. I mean, and I has that to. been an enjoyable experience well, for I me? love Final Fantasy. I wanted to, too, but... <laughs> Give me the Switch. Give me the Switch over the PS4. I, I think I would still hang with the PlayStation 4 just because of the versatility of seeing, like, like it do lots of things with the graphics. And, like, the Switch, I think, is really great. I do like the fact that you can take it portable, but nine times out of ten, I've never really been a handheld game player. Like, the Vita was the first handheld system I had. I never had a Game Boy, never had a Game Gear, never had any of that other stuff. And so if I play the Switch, 99% of the time it's docked. And so so then it's basically the same as a PS4. It's just not as powerful, doesn't have nearly as many games that I want to play on it. So for me, if I had to choose between the Switch and the PlayStation 4, it would be PlayStation 4 hands down. In an earlier stage of my life, I might have agreed with you, but like my gaming takes place all over the place now. So the portability of the Switch just puts it over the top for me. Also, they're porting like all of the great games from other systems over True. to it. Tons of RPG options. 
if I had to choose one system for the rest of my life, and especially knowing that Xenoblade Chronicles is going to be redone on the Switch, give me the Switch. And you can play The Witcher 3 on the Switch now, too. Granted, it looks a little funky, but the whole game's there, which is, I don't know how they're able to put a game like that large on like a cartridge that small. It's a wonder. It is. Before we move on, I would like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and work injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. We've run a little bit long in the show, so we're going to abbreviate our video game section. Instead of talking about the individual titles that we love and we're excited for, we're going to run through a list of games that you might want to see if you can find on sale. And then we're going to talk about some of the gaming trends and uh, a couple other video game related things. And then we're going to come back next month and dive into Game of the Year candidates and look at some of the best games that came out in 2019. As well as Final Fantasy. And Final Fantasy. So just running through some games right now that came out this year that people might want to catch on sale. It looks like I did the first half of this list, so (laughs) I'll run through my titles. Control, it is a mind-bending shooter that came out earlier this year. Astral Chain, which is like an anime-inspired action game on the Switch that I just adored my first three hours with. Fire Emblem Three Houses, a tactical RPG also on the Switch. And The Outer Worlds, which is across multiple consoles. I think you have it on the PS4. It's also available on Xbox Game Pass. Those are some of my Mm -hmm. top games from this year. Yeah, and so we have Jedi Fallen Order, which comes out on Friday. Oh my god, give it to me. Um, Heard from the previews of that game, I've heard a lot of really, really good things from the people or from a team that also had people on it that made Titanfall 2, which is probably my favorite first person shooter of all time. Like story of that is amazingly awesome. I should get to that. Also, I've been on complete blackout for Fallen Order because I don't want to have unrealistic ex- expectations going in. I just no. want to take it for what it's worth and I can't wait to play that game. Uh, so it's, I've heard it's okay then. Thank you. I'm just trying to help. So Death Stranding's on the list. Let's dive deep into it next week. Are I don't you, know if I can recommend that to everybody, though. So, Are you enjoying it? I am enjoying it, actually, more than I thought I would. But I just, I don't, it's not going to be for everybody. If you're a Kojima guy, you'll probably like it. And if you don't know if you're a Kojima person, like, yes. don't take a chance on yes, it. Yes, you got to be down for some just weird, crazy stuff. Um, the, the surprising thing about that, la- only thing I'll say about it, is the game is exactly what he said as confusing as all of the things that they've shown about that game is, like, it's that game. Like, all of the trailers that they've shown are, like, bits from the first hour and a half of that game. Like, it's insane, like, how much of that was actual gameplay or, you know, videos from the gameplay. Resident Evil 2 Remake. A lot of people are saying, even though it's a remake of RE2, which came out decades ago, a lot of people are still saying that even with everything that's come out this year, that is like one of the best games of the year. Uh, so I'm looking forward to trying to pick it up on sale uh, coming here in the next couple of months because I hear it's phenomenal and it ju- it just plays amazingly. It's finally going to maybe not like kill me to try to play it. So I'm looking forward to playing that um, game that I won't probably buy, but I know everybody else in their nephew are going to buy is Pokemon Sword or Pokemon Shield. Or if you're my roommate, Bridget, both. Um, awesome. She should let me borrow one copy. By the way, did you bring me Link's Awakening? Ah, 
That's all right. I won't have time to get to it immediately anyways. Plus That's I... probably one that people should pick up. Oh, especially yeah. Especially if you're a Zelda fan. Add that to the list, too. Link's Awakening. But Pokemon Sword and... Pokemon. <laughs> boop. 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 <laughs> Pokemon Sword and Shield. It's going to be a huge title. I've never quite gotten the allure of the Pokemon games. I've dabbled with one on the 3DS, but they're super duper popular. It's like an RPG light kind of thing, and I don't know. Capture a lot of monsters. Lots of people love it. See if you can find a deal. And then if I can second one that you said... I would highly recommend Fire Emblem Three Houses. Never really played a Fire Emblem game before. I've passingly played uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and things like that before. Fire Emblem Three Houses is a phenomenal game. If you have a Switch, you should own that game. And if you want to read my impressions on the first three hours of the game, you can check out my first impressions article on OutsideIsOverrated.com. Taking off our Tom and Joey hats for just a minute, let's slide into the pants of the average consumer. Is this holiday season the time to buy a new console? If you're going to buy... So if you don't have any of the consoles right now, um, if you were going to buy a console, it'd probably be the Switch because that's not going to be replaced next year, most supposedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, word of warning. So there's, there's actually three versions of the Switch out there right now. Oh, God. So... There's the Switch Lite, which just came out recently, uh, and that doesn't come with a dock. It can't be docked. It's just a handheld. So it's no longer a Switch. Now it's a Nintendo tablet. Yeah, it's like a it's a non 3ds. It's, it's a 2ds tablet thingy. Yeah, that'll play Xenoblade Chronicles. So buy it anyway. I mean, it'll still play all the games that you can get. Most of the games that you can get on it. Anything that doesn't need motion controls. Yes. Uh, well, and you can still sort of do that, but you're going to make yourself sick trying to do all that. Uh, but you'll look super cool. But if you have, like, it's it's gonna it's cheaper. So if you're just going to be playing on the go, that's probably worth it for you. If you're going to buy a Switch, there are the old versions of the Switch and then newer versions of the Switch. If you're going to buy a Switch, make sure you get the one that has the all red box except for the front of it, so the sides are all red. That's a newer version of the Switch that has a new updated CPU. Doesn't change graphically what it puts out, but it makes the battery life like an hour and a half to two hours longer on average. Which makes it not suck, just not wretched. Yes. So I would highly recommend, you'll see, if you go into the store, you'll actually see the two differences. So make sure that that's what you do. Um, and don't wait for a discount because Nintendo's not going to put a discount on it. You'll get 10 bucks off of some of their games. The, the deals that I've seen in the Black Friday ads so far is just you get a free copy of Mario Kart 8 with your Switch, which that's a really good game to get with your Switch. That's the reason I bought a Switch when it came out. Just remember, Nintendo doesn't really do discounts. Anything interesting with the Xbox for this holiday season? No, we don't have a firm release date, release date on the Xbox 2, Xbox, whatever. Whatever they, they're going to call it. Xbox Scarlet is there. Um, Scarlet's cool. Is there, it is there. It is there. Yeah. And if it's like was red, I mean, I like red. Um, it's not going to be red. It's going to be black or white. So and probably or green. That's their color. Microsoft. You think they're going to put a green console on my entertainment center? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Who no, knows? it'll have a green light. It'll, it'll probably be black lights. with a green light. That's, that's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing that Xbox is doing, so about nine months ago, they put out Xbox Access. I don't even know what this is. So it's basically a leasing program. If you go to a Microsoft store, you can lease for 
two years, lease an Xbox. Once you're done with the two years, you own it. Uh, and with that cost of the lease, you get Game Pass with it. Yes. Now Xbox I... Live Gold and then the Xbox, um, I think, I don't know if they have it for the X, but it would be the Xbox Xbox One S. Um, but you get all of that, and by the time the mon- amount of money that you pay for it is just a little bit more than what you would have paid for the console itself, but you're getting a year of Xbox Live Gold and Xbox Games Pass. Game Pass is cool. Have you looked into that? I, I, I mean, it's phenomenal. You get, I mean, you get access to lots of games. All Microsoft games now that come out on release date are on there. And I looked through the catalog today because we're thinking about getting it for my nephew. Now I want it. Yeah. It's ten bucks a month. Generally, you get like a hundred or so games, and it's uh, the Xbox games. Forza Horizon and yep. uh, Outer Worlds came out on launch day. Gears Five, mm-hmm. but it's also a lot of cool independent games that I've been interested in, like The Banner Saga and Dead Cells and some older stuff. Not that you ever want to go back and play old games. Xbox Game Pass is a cool thing. Hundred and twenty dollars yeah. for a year. That's two retail new games when they come out. So the interesting thing then when it comes to should I buy an Xbox this year when there's a new one coming out next year is that they are having an upgrade program that if you get an Xbox through Xbox Access, I believe that's what the leasing program is called, you can upgrade that to the new version of the Xbox when it comes out as long as you meet certain criteria like you've had it for over a year you are in good standing and making your payments and so on and so forth so if you were looking at getting an xbox that might be the way to do it so that you could still upgrade to the new version of the console when it comes out now the price might not be the same per month if you do that i don't know if it also restarts the clock so you have another two years to pay off the new xbox i'm sure it does i'm sure it does but that might be the way to get into it that's a cool thing. I had no idea that Xbox Access was a thing. Yeah. Now, with a PS4, there's going to be some huge deals. So I guess the best way the best way to put it would be if you aren't going to buy a PS5 at launch next holiday 2020. Rule me out. Then if you don't have an Xbox or a PlayStation 4 right now, there's going to be some insane deals. So like some of them are $200 for for a regular PS4, but you get I believe it was Last of Us Remastered, Uncharted 4, and I believe God of War. Yes. Like the three games you would want to play on a PlayStation 4 if you got it for 200 bucks. I believe is what the price was. If I remember correctly, that's an awesome deal. And that's an, so there's going to be some really good deals for that and for PSVR. So I would recommend that if you're, if you already have a PS4 and you're looking for a new way to experience gaming, you could get a PSVR because the PSVR is going to be compatible with PlayStation five as well with the PlayStation five. They're talking about how all the games from PS4 will be playable on PlayStation five. And so really if they're going to be doing the backwards compatibility stuff, it wouldn't hurt to jump into the ecosystem now and it wouldn't hurt to get a PSVR now because you're going to be able to use that at least for the first year or two on PS5 until they would come out with what PSVR 2 might be. It'll be cordless. I would hope so. You know what else is cordless? Uh, phones in the late 1990s. Yeah, that and the Oculus Quest. 
Oculus Quest. Sticking with a VR theme, Oculus Quest is a super intriguing thing. It is a modest price point for entry into the VR world. I'm super interested in it. It's like $200 for the headset. The th and it has a pretty decent library. The thing that scares me about it is it's the only VR system that you can't really upgrade. Yeah, because it's just what's in the headset is everything. You don't need a gaming PC. You don't need a PS4. Like, literally, what you need is all included in the headset. It's a crazy value and a huge step yes. forward for VR. Well, right. I mean, it's, it is probably the mo it is the most accessible way to get into VR now because you just have to buy that. You don't have to already have a PS4 or you don't already have to have a $1,500 like computer to be able to play the Vive or the other Oculus. And so I, a lot of people that play it say that it's a game changer because they've played VR with the cords before and not being tethered is amazing from what they say. So... And the quality drop-off isn't as much as you would think for it to all just be encased within the headset and running from that. Anything else with VR this holiday season you want to talk about? I put Labo VR as a joke. Labo can get the F out of here. Uh, people have said that like it's actually better than you would think that it was, but it's still just a cardboard VR headset that has no straps, so you have to hold it on your head with your switch in the front of it, so it's heavy. So pr probably not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Uh, you had something else here that was interesting. The Ring Fit Adventure for Switch. What is this thing? Yeah, so um, my friend John that I play Gloomhaven with was talking to me over Halloween about the Ring Fit Adventure. So I don't know if you've seen anything with it yet. Um, so you remember back with the Wii, how they came out with the balance board and Wii Fit. So this seems to be the next extrapolation of that so what it is is you buy ring fit adventure it's a game and then it's two accessories for 80 bucks one accessory is really just a velcro strap that you put around your leg that you put one of your joy cons into the other thing is a big ring that's like a resistance band that you slot your other joy con into and then what you're doing is you're playing an RPG style like quest game that's all about like working out. So you're you're running in place in order to try to catch something and then you like swing the ring or compress the ring in order to actually attack or do different things and it sounds it, it's funny. I would put it on about the same plane as Wingspan. <laughs> and if you watch the videos of it, it looks downright silly to some extent. But like what John said is he's been looking for something because in the summer he runs a lot to try to stay like in shape. But he doesn't really like going to the gym. And so he was like, well, on a whim, I, he loves his switch. So he's like, I'll buy this and give it a shot. And he says it is a surprising workout. Like, it keeps you active, and if you do that for an hour, like, you feel winded by the end of it. Like, you actually did something. And the gameplay progression is actually a lot of fun. And I, I checked in with him again today, and he said, yeah, he's still liking it. He's still doing it every day that he's at home. And so it's one of those things, supposedly, if you played an hour a day, there's enough content to last you eight months huh. through what's been released so far with the game. And there's probably going to be expansions. That means I probably have like six years worth of content. Oh, right. See, right. Um, but it's just, it sounds like a really interesting thing. And it sounds like to me, and I don't know much about 
consumerism and stuff like that other than just being a consumer. It sounds like the type of thing that it could take off and be one of the it things of this holiday season because it's only $20 more than a normal game system or a normal game for uh, the Switch. And it's something different and it's something that people can play together and do as a group to some extent, you know, and laugh about it, but still get a little bit of a workout. I worked at GameStop when the Wii Fit came out. That was a revelation. Like, uh-huh. People were buying it out as soon as it came in. People were calling like every hour asking if we had them. Like it was crazy how big the Wii Fit was. So it'll be interesting if this just captures like 10% of the mind share of that. It could still be a pretty good success for them. Granted, Nintendo has had a whole lot more swings and misses than actual hits on these types of things recently. So maybe it won't catch on. But even then, if it sounds intriguing to you, my friend John says he really likes it. I might give it a try. Um, It even has like a, what do they call it? Neighbor mode, I think they call it. So that if you turn that on, it's not going to do all of the running stuff so Hmm. that you're not like pounding on the floor (laughs) and waking up your downstairs neighbors or your family or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you can go into it and then it does like more of like the resistance band stuff uh, for the workout part. So something interesting, something to be on the lookout for. You also had game cards for Fortnite on the list. So if you are shopping for anybody between the age of 10 and 20, like that's all they want. I don't know. I hear Minecraft is back in vogue. Is it? Well, so then this is perfect because then they can spend the cash however they want. So Fortnite, for some godforsaken reason, Epic, doesn't have like gift cards that are specifically for Z-Bucks for Fortnite. So I didn't even know what the currency was yeah, called. Z-Bucks. Nice work. Yeah. Yeah, because that's two years ago. That's all I got asked for. We want Z-Bucks. We want Z-Bucks. Mm. It's like, oh, fuck Z-Bucks are. Um, so I'll go to the ZTM and. Pull some out. <laughs> and Epic doesn't even have any gift cards yet for the Epic Game Store, which... With how much surprising. money Epic is rolling in, how did they not have this monetized in a sensible way? It's, it's so weird. It's the weirdest thing. Like, that would, you would think that would be the first thing that they would think of. It's like, let's put up... Let's print our own money. Yeah. <laughs> like, why don't you do it? Um, so, you have to buy... Xbox Live, PSN cards, or I think Nintendo has eShop cards that you can buy too. So you're going to have to buy that for them. Um, but, you know, if they, whatever system they have, buy that for them. They can use it to buy any of these other games or more, more likely just crap for Minecraft or Fortnite. And then I also put on here, Legos are always a good idea. Legos are awesome. I mean, if the kids don't like putting it together, the chances are one of the two parents will. So... Just buy Legos. They're expensive, but it's worth it. What's the biggest Lego set you put together? Uh, Actually, it probably is the one I most recently bought for at work, and it's a pirate ship in a bottle. Uh, And I just, we put that together at work as sort of like a team building thing. And so that's up above my desk now. That was about two months ago we did that. That's that's probably the biggest one I've done. Another quick aside we just did a Gallup Strengths Finder at work. Have you ever done one of those? No, no. Well, I don't think so. Something similar, maybe, but... It told me that my strengths are doing stuff and critical thinking. My number one strength was consistency. It was all about, like, the workplace being fair and everyone being treated the same and how important that is to me. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you want to be treated better than everybody else, but then everybody else should be the same level of shit, right? Well, I want want to know what the rules are. I want to know what's expected. (laughs) I want everyone to be held to the same standards. (laughs) 
So that is our mammoth epic holiday buying guide show. Holy cow, it's been nearly two hours. I apologize, folks. I get a little long-winded when I talk about this stuff. We have a lot of good stuff. Uh, I hope that if you are doing some shopping between this and the next episode for The Nerd in Your Life that we are able to help. If you have any questions or want to tell us we're a bunch of big, dumb idiots... There's lots of ways you can reach out to the show. You can email us at overratedpod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome and at hobbyboxburns. Uh, Facebook.com slash outside is overrated and outside underscore overrated pod on Instagram. And if you did buy one of these things that we recommended for somebody, send us a picture of them opening it or whatever. Let us know if it was a success or if we were a complete and utter failure. I'd be... I would be actually more amused to see the second, but <laughs> we actually sold a few copies of board games after our cooperative gaming show. I know at least one person that bought, I think two games off of our oh, list. Sweet. Based That's on awesome. our recommendations. Yeah. So thanks for listening, Brandon. Thank you everyone who listens to the show next month. Tom and Joey will be back to talking great length about video games. We're going to talk about our experience with the Final Fantasy Challenge, touching 12 games in 12 months of the year. We're going to talk about our best games and Game of the Year candidates for 2019. And then a little bit later next year, we're going to do monthly podcasts again next year, we are going to dive into the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yes. Super excited. Thank you again so much for listening. We are now available on... Everywhere podcasts are available, basically, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iTunes. Tell a friend, help us spread the word, and until next time, stay inside, kids. Open a Keyforge pack. See, look, isn't that ironic? It's really the only sharp thing I have. It went so yeah, well the first time. It certainly time. doesn't count your mind. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Put so, one in the Tom's Dick column. Oh, there's more than one there. It's the start of the show. We'll get there. <laughs> you know, we can stop for bathroom breaks. Like, this is supposed to be a fun thing that we do, it's not an endurance contest. No, I got to finish this large can of soda and then use that during the podcast. We can't stop once we start. Can we stop looking in each other's eyes at least? I don't know if we can ever do that. Yeah, we've been friends <laughs> for a long time. Oh my God, that's so much pressure. <laughs> Good old Wayne's World. Excuse me, I believe I requested the hand job. <laughs> I did not understand the joke until I was much older than when I first watched Wayne's World. Yeah. Younger, it's a good thing probably that when you were, what, 10, 11, 12, you didn't understand what a hand job was? Yeah. Oh, 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 there goes my microphone. Now I have to stand like this the whole show. Oh, this is going to be a good show, Joey. I can just tell. Very excited. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop so you can actually start the podcast. Starting the show, like outside, is overrated.